So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here with the Modern Man. Big hello to Hal, uh, who's been in touch to say that when I chastised Ollie Peart on last week's show, when he said, "Imagine if Netflix existed ten years ago," and I pointed out to him that it did exist ten years ago. It's just that it was a DVD postal service. Actually, according to Wikipedia, as Hal points out, Netflix was founded on August the twenty ninth, nineteen ninety seven. So it's not actually ten years old exactly. Until next month. <sighs> that is what you get when you pedal pedantry. You only get letters from fellow pedants who are even more pedantic than you are, correcting your pedantry. Be warned, it's a good rule for life. Uh, also, hello to Frankie, uh, female Frankie. I'm going to call you from now on because uh, she's our ambassador for New Zealand, and she says, "Ollie, when you granted me ambassador status, you referred to me as a he." Uh, despite my ambiguous name, though. I am a lady man fan.、Uh, that is fair enough, Frankie. That is worth being pedantic about. Apologies.、Uh, female Frankie also says, "Ollie, I always enjoy your song of the week at the end of each show." Thank you.、Uh, would you perhaps consider making a Spotify playlist?、Uh, well, I don't need to, female Frankie, because producer Matt has already done that very thing. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to flag this up.、Uh, you can actually stream all of the tracks that we've ever featured on this show, apart from the very few that aren't available on Spotify,、uh, through our Spotify playlist, which I have helpfully embedded. On our website, modernman.co.uk.、Uh, so, especially if you're at work right now and you want something to listen to after this, of course, open up our website and just click music, and you'll see the playlist there. And and by the way, you can listen to this show on Spotify now as well.、Uh, so, if you haven't subscribed already, do.、Uh, right now, this week's episode is another listener request. Episode,、uh, as you might recall,、uh, we put out a call for man fans to get in touch with their suggested stories for the show.、Uh, the first we recorded was a few weeks ago. The Micronesian football coach.、Uh, this week, it is the turn of man fan Ian from Dublin,、uh, who wrote to me a few weeks ago and said, "Hello, Ollie. My name's Ian. I have a true story that happened to me."、Uh, it's funny now. But it really wasn't at the time.、Uh, Ian then obviously went on to explain what the story was. No spoilers here.、Uh, but guess what? It is a good story.、Uh, so off producer Matt and I headed to Dublin. Thanks to your beer money, by the way, we got some Kilkenny. Nothing lavish. We we flew Ryanair, and we met Ian, and we recorded this week's interview. And、uh, it, yeah, it, I think it's still a good story. It was worth the trip to Dublin. I guess it's a little bit like the man who stole my year from last season, or maybe how to be a male model that we did in season two. It's a bit like that. Just a just an engaging storyteller. Sharing an experience that they've had,、um, and it'll, it'll definitely make you think twice about ever becoming a landlord.、Uh, also, this week you will learn exactly how many data points have been captured at Wimbledon since 1990.、Uh, you'll learn what Alex Fox's mum and sister do for a living, and you'll learn why you should never tell your friends you run a brothel. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man, I just thought, God, these guys are good. 
they find a weak landlord and, you know, set up these places. Sex, suspicion and police stings. Confronting a crime ring in your home. So it's somebody doing something for her to please her but without touch. And Alex Fox reveals how to have a high-functioning orgasm on the autistic spectrum. But first, it's the Zeitgeist with Ollie Peart. And Ollie, you've dragged me to South London to some place called Wimbledon. Why are we here? Tennis, Ollie, isn't it? Uh, so we just watched some sport together, man fans. Can you believe it? Mm. And uh, I think we managed to pull it off. We looked like we knew what was happening. We clapped when everyone else did. We went, ooh, when other people did. Well, I actually found what I was doing instead because there's quite a lot going on on a tennis court, isn't yes. there? Even though it's a small space, there's a lot of people on a court at any given time. So you've got, like, you've got three line judges on either end. You've got multiple balls. Who are unflappable. Who, who, who will happily take a 200-mile-an-hour ball in the face yeah. and, just, and then go out. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Well, not they don't say out, they say out! Yeah, 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 really loud. I noticed that the crowd are very polite in their um, chanting. You know, other live sport that I've been to, you know, that there is a wave effect, but there's a constant kind of subdued heckling. Tennis, silence. Like, people actually tutting if you make a noise. The aggression here is hidden, I think. So it's much more vocal in other sports here. I noticed, like, so there's no, like, assignment of seats. And where we were standing, we were standing on, like, a balcony looking, at, looking down at the tennis, right? Mm. I'm sort of standing, leaning on the balcony, looking down. And you're absolutely right, everyone's really polite and lovely, but then all of a sudden this woman just comes on the sort of the left of me, she starts just like, just gently edging in. Oh, really, gen- yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking, what are you doing? Yeah, so it's the kind of place where rather than a fellow fan smashing you over the head with a bottle, they're more likely to chastise you for not using the right recycling bin for that bottle. Exactly. Mm. Talk of fluids, something else that I've observed, Ollie, thanks for asking, mm. was that on the way in here today, so in the actual Wimbledon, what do you call this, the Wimbledon village, the Wimbledon side, PIMS are definitely the summer region of choice as you would have come to expect. Of course. However, on the way in, like, plastered billboards for Aperol Spritz. Mm. Now, had you ever heard of Aperol Spritz before this summer? Yes. Oh, go on. But I noticed it. Where I went, from? Uh, there's, there was a bar in Farringdon, mm. and the whole top floor of this bar was sponsored by Aperol Spritz okay. that summer. But when? When was that? This was last year. Okay, exactly. So, okay, so they're clearly putting a lot of money into marketing, aren't they? They're just trying to take some of Pims's thunder away. That's exactly it, isn't it? Because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I know Aperol, I've done my research since, mm. something you won't be familiar with, no, but I, I know that is. Aperol is, is a brand that's been going for a long time in Italy, but they've just clearly suddenly decided, no, Pims, you don't get England in the summer. We're getting in on that as well. It's coming, well, it's coming for Wimbledon, I'm telling you. You can see it's like a pincer movement. Next year, they'll, they're going to send in vandals to just smash bottles of Pims away and replace them with Aperol. Just so in, in a Wimbledon way, rather than that, they'll just slowly nudge it out of the way. Mm. They'll tut it to death. OK, so what are your big Wimble trends? Nerd centres. <laughs> Is this what you were doing in, in the bunker? I was in Ollie, the... Ollie went to a bunker just a moment ago. The bunker, which... is which, not normally something you hear outside of World War II. And um, the Nerd Centre is a room full of people who are very good at mathematics and analytics, mm-hmm. and they analyse all of the data that's collected here at Wimbledon, which, turns out, is a huge 53,713,514 data points captured since 1990. Okay, so what kind of information is that exactly? Faults. Right. Second serves, mm-hmm. aces, mm-hmm. unforced errors. Okay, and you had a special... This is IBM invited you to have a special tour of their data yeah. centre, right? So the public can't go and see this. No, and on every court, there is a tennis player, like a professional tennis player, in a little box. More than one. And they, it... <laughs> he or she. <laughs> he or she. More conventionally. ...will record a certain sort of... All, all of those data points. So Whoa, it'd be like, okay, slow down. So, so the people who collect data mm-hmm. so that they can tell you 
when the last serve was was 1967 that someone did something like that in the second round of da 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 all of that is collated on the ground by former professional tennis players who are watching the match not necessarily former the oh, current right. okay. current players but they'll be probably lower down in the standings I'm not sure Andy Murray just comes up after he's finished his match and goes do you know what I fancy gathering some data but I thought especially when you see things like Hawkeye and that kind of stuff I just thought it was all computers doing no, that it's stuff it's still people yeah it's still people because a lot of the marketing as you walk in is about AI being used so I saw some billboard that said if you download the Wimbledon app now there's AI built in so you can ask it a question about where you want to eat your dinner or whatever so they're, they're trying to say look we're moving to a situation where we can do all this data stuff without people at all mm-hmm but clearly they're not at that stage yet. But there is also artificial intelligence that creates the highlight reels that you see on like on your computer. This software can see when like a good thing happens in a match. You like, don't just mean when a point is scored. No, no, more more than that. So it all, it, it can sense visual cues like fist pumps and cheering and then it knows that something good has happened in that little bit. It could even like identify a streaker running across a court and then it knows to cut that into a highlight reel. I don't know if it knows whether or not to blow it out or not. I have no idea. I did actually ask that, by the way. You, you went to the IBM bunker and the question you asked was whether their computer software can identify a cock. Yeah, basically, yeah. So wh- where does all that data go then? Well, they just use it for the event, which is weird because the thing is, right, I think that they should take a lesson out of football's data usage book, if there is such a thing. There's a, there's a, there's <laughs> it's my favourite toilet read. There's a game called uh, Championship Manager. It's Football Manager now. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. And when they first started out, there was no reliable data in football. So they took it upon themselves to go out and collate this data. They weren't just doing it in like the Premier League or even League One or anything like that, doing it across the board, so okay. even like the lower leagues. So such and such a player scores more goals in wet conditions. Yeah, but it was more than that. It was like the data was really intricate. Anyway, they were so successful at it that talent scouts ended up playing the game to help find players that they might otherwise not have known would have been successful. Oh, and then crazy, they go and buy it? them. Okay, so what's the analogy then with tennis? What could they be using this data for, do you think? Make a game out of it! (laughs) Beyond that. Well, they have such a huge amount of data. Yeah. Surely they can use it to identify new talent that's going to be coming up through the ranks. Mm. And the power of all of the data they have here has the potential to possibly predict how a game will turn out. Could even be good enough to predict a score, possibly. So that would be useful to who? I guess people like bookmakers. Yeah, bookmakers, exactly. Coaches. And all of the data that I saw today is not available to those people. You can't access it. You have absolutely no access to it whatsoever. That is until the game starts. Then it's available. Oh, I see. So they've already done the maths, but mm-hmm. they, they choose not to share it with other people. Yeah. That is interesting, yeah. And in the, in the football manager example that you gave, if coaches are using that to sign up talent based on data that a game tells them about that there's no control experiment to know whether those players really are the best players so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy doesn't it you know are we just following the data because uh, it's a hot topic to collect lots of data probably right fair enough uh, now I- i've blagged us into wimbledon today mm-hmm. so that's not good enough to make your list of success in your attempts to be a true trends insider uh, let's go through and update mm-hmm. ourselves as to where you got to this week have you become twitter verified no, but next week I can reapply, and I'm going to. Have you held a Nando's black card? No, but I've decided to up the ante on that one because I know it's taken such a long time for me to do this. Well, you're so going to meet Mr Nando, are you? No. You're going to go to a secret cabal of chickens? I'm going to take my photo with two Nando black cards. Yeah, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, uh, have you become a Freemason? No. Have you tried the latest cult skincare treatment or product? No. Have you sat at a chef's table? No, but I am getting somewhere with that. Next week, I'll have more details. 
Have you managed to join an elite dating app? Yes. Oh, thank God for that. Right, so is this Raya, the one you were talking about last week? Not Raya. Um, I got some information on Raya, and quite a lot of people that were on it kind of just deleted it because I thought it was weird. Okay. So, um, Which one are you on, then? I'm on a dating app called Inner Circle. Okay. Is this some sort of circle jerk meetup app? No. This is an app for people that are considered higher in their social standing in society. By who? How do they rate that? By... Whoever works behind the scenes at Inner Circle. So what they do, what I had to do, I yeah. had to get an invite, yeah. and then I had to be screened. So do you think that was, to return to my question last week, for attractiveness? Because let's be honest, it's not for bank balance. What you have to do is link through your Facebook profile. What they say is they, they sort of look at what you do, and you're probably a little bit of how you look, but I'm not an attractive person. No, but you're not pig ugly. I mean, I just wonder if they, uh, you know, they screen some people out. Probably. I'm just curious. I expect so. It's mysterious, isn't it, is the point. And if it's mysterious, then that's what's happening. Yeah, and I'm still trying to sort of suss it out, because I only got approved this small. Can I see your profile? A little bit there's bad looking good, at There's this. some very good looking young ladies on there. And, and a little bit older, and, you know, they're in their sort of late 20s, aren't they? There's not many young, young people on there. Well, I've got five notifications, apparently. Okay, well, what happens if you click on, on well, one of their ta- blurred out images? That's weird. That is weird. Do you reckon it's a cock photo? Oh, no, you don't have full membership. To check out all the members who viewed your profile, you need to register one friend or buy the full membership if you've not paid anything. Why would I pay? It flatters your ego to think you've made it through, but actually they want money out of you. How do I pay? Oh, this is how it works, isn't it? I suppose that's how Tinder works as well, isn't it? You know, you want to go to the next level, you have to pay. But on this, just to see their faces. That is ridiculous. Yeah, but I was with you. I was intrigued and then... That's now I'm works, just not. I've got no matches. I've got no winks, whatever the hell those are. What did you have to tell it about yourself? I literally just sent them my Facebook profile. So that's all linked. They've got all my friends' details now as well. Sorry right. about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I've ticked it off the, uh, off the list. So that's an, something I don't have to ever go through again. That'd you be have joined an elite phone. dating app. Okay. Uh, you also have acquired AAA access to a festival. Remind us when that is. It's in a few weeks. Uh, tickets to the London Transfer of Hamilton. Have you tried any more since last week? That was pathetic, your answer last week to that. It's an interesting question. I was promised progress. Have you uh, got Are any you? further with taking a parliamentary ghost train? Yes, th- yes. I asked you before recording. I said, have you made progress with any of it? And you said, yes. I haven't made any progress with the Hamilton thing. But with the ghost have, train, yes. I found a ghost train, uh, Paddington to High Wycombe, and I'm going to book myself on it. You could have had that information last week, couldn't you, when you clarify what a ghost train was? No, what have you done since last week? Well, someone that I got in touch with said, Leo, you can get on this one to High Wycombe. The thing is... Are they train geeks? Are they getting on with you? No, but uh, what I'll, do, I'll tell you what I'll do... When I book it, I'll say which one it is. It'd be quite nice to have some company because I don't want to go. To, I don't want to go to High Wycombe. I've been to High Wycombe. Yeah, no. I, there's listen, a decent listen. provincial theatre there. There's a nice view from the hill, and there's a very reasonable branch of John Lewis home. I've got nothing against High Wycombe. I have some friends in High Wycombe. <laughs> but you're going to, in the name of research. Yeah, in the name of necessity. Hey, when you get to High Wycombe, you could open up Circle Jerk and see if any of your other moneyed friends are around. I'm deleting that app. <laughs> Now, do you own your own property? It sometimes seems like home ownership is the apex of success in our society. It's considered even better than that, is feathering your own nest egg by owning a second property, or even a third one, and renting them out so that you can subsidise your mortgage or your pension. Uh, But whilst we all know about the risks involved with being a renter, there are, of course, also many risks involved in renting your property out. This is Ian's story. I remember it very well because it was a Monday evening. I I play poker in my local uh, in my local pub, and 
of all, it must be about 10 p.m. And my phone rings and it's my brother. And I thought, that's very, very strange. Like, a Monday evening, 10 p.m., what's what's going on? So I go outside and I answered it. And um, my brother says, we've just had two detectives uh, call at the house. Uh, the detectives sit down and say, do you own a rental property in? And gave the address. My brother said, I do. I co-own it with my with my brother, who was, who was me, obviously. And he says, well, do you know that um, there's a brothel being run out of it? I just go, well, no, that's that's impossible. No, like it, it, it couldn't be. There was a, a lovely family there. There wasn't. Uh, there was no signs of anything like that. What did the detectives say was happening there? Well, they had said that they had confirmed reports from various people. Um, that a brothel was being run out of it um, and of course at the time they assumed that my brother and I were part of this that we had <laughs> like this is our side business uh, and, and you know we were we were organising all this which of course was completely untrue so they were interrogating like kind of fairly aggressively interrogating my brother who you know was just flummoxed about the whole thing he said this you know this is impossible like and at one stage they they threatened my brother with the revenue and remembering my my brother's wife was eight months pregnant at the time they said how would the revenue feel about this uh about this going on and you know started kind of needling him to try and break him as it were and my brother said said look we have all our documents in, in place went off got the uh all the documents to show all the rent that was paid and you know everything was completely in order with the revenue and said look you can say what you like we 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 don't know anything about this we aren't pimps we're accidental pimps yes and what evidence did the police have i mean they said you know reports of it being a brothel what does that mean cars um, coming and going at yeah, night yeah they, they had spoken to some taxi drivers they had spoken to some of the some neighbors um who had reported it so it wasn't just one person saying look i i think there's a brothel in there it was it was numerous reports but they didn't have any proof, so they they didn't have a warrant to to kind of just barge in and and stop all this. So what they needed was your brother to confess and say, yeah, "Yes, I'm a pimp." Yes, I'm so sorry. Put me put me in handcuffs, and that's the that's the phone call I got. That's the phone call you got. What did you say? <laughs> I said, "I can't believe you've been keeping this all the way at this time." <laughs> I'm presuming you were you were angry at your tenants. How oh. have they managed to string you along? Yeah, we were incensed that they would do this to us. We were we would class ourselves as as very um, friendly, very um, very nice landlords. I know landlords in general don't get a good rap, but um, we would class ourselves as as uh, as genuine good landlords. So we thought, like, why would they do this to us? So after uh, the realization was there that my brother hadn't anything to do with this, the police kind of changed their tune and said okay well we believe you but we now need your help um we need to get these guys out of here and obviously you want them out of the house as well so they started hatching a plan that evening about how we were going to help them go about you know infiltrating the <laughs> the brothel the plan was to go up and, and call in unannounced and just call it kind of a, a random spot check to make sure the house was fine, which we'd never done before. We we, we would never do that on on a, on a tenant. And, you know... And, and what? I mean, like, you know, you knock on the door and some guy you don't know opens the door and says, yes, who are you here for? <laughs> I mean, if you say we're here to do a spot check, then what? I mean, he either lets you in or he doesn't. If he does and you encountered a lot of sex work, I mean, what were you supposed to do? Take pictures? What the police asked us to do was knock on the door. Presumably they thought the original tenants may or may not be there because we didn't know if 
the husband was part of this or was the wife we do like we didn't know if any any of those would be there so presumably they were hoping that we would somehow be allowed in maybe they i don't know if they, they would have thought that we were customers or something i don't know but once we went in and saw anything untoward we would come back out give the give the guys a signal and they would take over okay so a plan was hatched that the police would escort you to your home and you would knock on the door as the landlords how far away was that day from the day you got the call about a week so in the week in between did you think you know there's got to be an easier way than this yeah we didn't like the idea of you know calling up with with police was this just a private trauma between you and your brother and your respective partners or had you told your friends as well no, we we actually we did tell friends. We told our families, obviously, and we and we told friends who like while we were in this hyper state of of stress, um, they thought it was hilarious, um, <laughs> which which annoyed us in one way. But obviously, they were they were I I suppose maybe they were just trying to kind of calm us down and keep us uh keep us on an even keel, and they were giving us advice as to what to do. Um, I and th- we probably should thank some of them because they were the people who talked us out of calling up to the house off her own back so yeah there was a mixture of you know a lot of support but some needling as well yeah so what sort of jokes were your mates making about it oh we were called you know pimp daddy you know our friends were calling us up randomly and asking us how much does a hand job cost or how much does this cost and we were like you you know bastards like we were going through like hell and uh, we were called brothel brothers uh all sorts um it came out at the time yeah I mean, what was the narrative that you'd constructed in your head as to why your tenants, who who were council tenants, so maybe they needed the money, like how had you imagined they'd gone about establishing a brothel in your house? I just thought, God, these guys are good. Like, they've done this before, or, you know, maybe this is just something that they, they do. They go around to different places, find a weak landlord uh, or landlords, and, you know, set up these places. That was the only thing we could think of because it, it didn't make sense. It, like, this family and, and, and a brothel didn't make sense. <laughs> they shouldn't come in in the same sentence. How did you feel as the big day approached? I mean, you're going to be involved in a sting, effectively. <laughs> yeah. You're a law-abiding citizen. Well, yeah. How yeah. did that feel? We, uh, myself and my brother, were petrified. Um, we had no idea leading up to it. Was there going to be a, like a pimp in the house, a big pimp daddy, you know? Would there be weapons in the house? Um, how are they going to react to the landlord showing up? What happened on the day was... Uh, we organised to meet the the police in our local pub's car park. It was the pub I was in playing poker on the Monday evening. My brother drove and I was in the passenger seat and we met uh, the two detectives who were there the original night. The female detective, who I think must have been the head detective, got in the back with the other detective and told us, this is how it's going to go down. And <laughs> this is this is what got us going. Like She said, don't worry. And she pointed to a car behind us, an unmarked car. She said, if anything goes wrong, there's a, a an unmarked car behind us with armed guardy who have bulletproof vests. So we were you like... You presumably did not have bulletproof vests. We did not have bulletproof vests, no. Um, <laughs> so we and were... Was that ba- did you ask? I mean, did they think this was a Russian gangster with a gun, basically? Um, well, they, they must have had some thoughts. They were obviously preparing for every eventuality they they had as well some guardy around the house like 
kind of in the area, if you like. Uh, so the so the, the, the Irish police. The Irish police, yes. They had uh, they had the two detectives. They had another car with armed police with bulletproof vests, and they had guardy around the area as well. So you can imagine myself and my brother, who were just two normal people, in the middle of this thinking holy christ what's going on here and um, we were we were very very nervous um, and when we were in the car and the head detective was explaining how this was going to happen we were very very tense like it was a super tense atmosphere we had no idea if we were walking into a into a gunfight <laughs> we literally didn't know what was running through your head as the car set off um don't die <laughs> We like we genuinely had no idea what was going to happen as the car set off, and it was only um from the from the car park to the house. It's about a three or four minute drive, so we didn't have long to think about this, and just really really nervous in the hopes that our part would be very very minimal, that we would be in there for three or four seconds if if if, if needs be, we would come out give the signal and we would just kind of disappear to the side and let the police take over from there. And even though you're playing yourselves in this scenario, it's sort of an acting job as well, isn't it? Because you know something that you're pretending not to know. Exactly, yes. Because um, we're, we're going through the you know, the, the script in our mind, like albeit a very short script, the police had told us kind of what to say to just get entry to the house and see something incriminating. Um, but would you have been convincing? I mean, were you sitting there thinking, we're going to pull this off? Or were you thinking, we're, they're going to see straight away? Well, because we'd never just called randomly before, um, if if this was on the day when we were due to collect our rent once a month, it, we'd have been a lot more comfortable about it. But because this was just us randomly showing up the door, which we'd never done before, there was an element of, God, these guys are may just straight away realise what's going on. Yeah. Talk us through the journey. Well, we set off in the car... My brother's driving. Both our hearts are pounding. There's no real, maybe the tiniest bit of small talk, but uh, practically a silent car. There's a couple of sets of traffic lights we have to go through, so we I think we stopped at one of them, um, which made things a bit more tense. Um, we 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 turned at the, <laughs> at the, at the top of the um, of the estate. We turned into the estate, and again, as we're getting closer to the house. My palms are sweating. I'm. I won't say I was shaking, but I'm very, very nervous because, like, we're 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 thirty seconds or sixty seconds away from God knows what. Uh, so we we turn into the estate and then we take a turn into the road that uh, the house is on. Uh, at which point the detective says, "Where are you going?" And my brother said, "We're going to the house and kind of parked outside the house." Yeah. Um, and the two detectives just looked at each other um, and realised they had the wrong fucking house. <laughs> how, but how did that happen? <laughs> so let's say we lived in, in number one, Meadowfield Courtyard. Yeah. Um, the actual address was one Meadowfield Court. And which was around the corner. Which was around the corner. And when they, which was a brothel. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And your house wasn't? No. No, it was never our house from the start. You're laughing now. Were you laughing then? Absolutely not. No, uh, they put us through a week of torture. They approached my brother and, a, and his heavily pregnant wife and accused them of uh, being involved in this. Were they apologetic? 
oh they were beside themselves with apologies they just couldn't believe it themselves like I, 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 I'm trying to paint a picture of their faces their faces <laughs> looked you can imagine that this had be, this had probably been going on from before they'd even approached my brother that night Yeah, they probably had put I don't know I don't know maybe a month's worth of work into this and it was all for nothing it was the wrong house and a funny thing is that during that week I had joked that there's a chance that they have the wrong house purely because when we lived there if we ever ordered a taxi or a, a takeaway a Chinese takeaway or, or whatever a chipper kind of eight times out of ten the taxi driver would be around in Meadowfield yeah. Court it's just one of those addresses yeah and even though every time we ordered a taxi or a takeaway we'd say no it's courtyard make sure it's courtyard the guys would go around to, to court and I joked during that week that god I wonder if if they have the wrong house so and did you beat yourself up for not saying that to the police yes in the end I did because again that it all would have come out we wouldn't have had to go through all that but I said that to my brother and some friends and we tilted our head and went yeah it's a possibility but then we just all rubbished it straight away because we said because it's the police yeah there's absolutely no way the police would make that mistake it's okay for a taxi man to go to the wrong house or a Chinese takeaway delivery man to go to the wrong house that makes sense that can happen but the police no they they, they have the right people you know they have the right house and how does it make you feel now in your dealings with the authorities I, I often think god like that's one cock up that we know about um, like and I, the detective said to us guys if you ever need anything like she was just so, so embarrassed and she said if you guys ever need anything let me know so I was thinking to myself god this is great I wonder what crimes I can commit now <laughs> and get away with um, and I for years later I, like, I you know I never ever cashed in on that like I, I have but you have now opened a series of brothels <laughs> <laughs> yes we have free reign yeah we, we have the whole of Dublin covered you're the um, brothel brothers the brothel brothers yeah, yeah the, the name sticks presumably two weeks later you and your brother had to go to the property again to actually collect your rent like you normally did. <laughs> well, I was I was the one because I lived closest, like where we are now. We're oh, we're not too far from from the house, so I was the one that collected the rent. And yeah, very very strange uh, walking back into the house because these people had zero idea of what almost happened to them. They almost had, you know. <laughs> probably about 10 guardy or 10 police uh, knock on the door and, and accuse them of running a brothel so it was yeah it was very very gingerly did we kind of uh, do the transaction and I nodded politely and said hey, is everything okay and <laughs> I, I felt guilty towards them even though I had no reason to feel guilty towards them but th- to this day they'll never know how close they came to to having a <laughs> a SWAT team descend on their on their dwelling you know? my thanks to Ian if you've got a story you'd like to tell on the show, just head to our website and fill out the feedback form. Alex Fox is up next after this. It's time for our weekly venture down the foxhole. Alex Fox, how's your summer panning out? Oh, it's looking all sorts of glorious shades of squelchy and squirmy because I am going to a workshop called Secrets of the Female Orgasm. What secrets are there left to know? Well, I recently met a woman called Catherine Dunworth, who's one of the most serene beings that I have ever encountered. And perhaps unsurprisingly, <laughs> uh, she credited her peaceful, uh, idyllic kind of ambiance to being a practitioner of Tantra. So she knows all about how to fuse meditation with touch and connection with other bodies and with other people to produce 
really sexy, scintillating, sensual effects. And she told me that she knows over 50 different ways to orgasm as a woman. Tell me penetrative is one. (laughs) Yeah, 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 of course, of course. Two of the most remarkable ways that Catherine told me about were firstly a cervical penetrative orgasm where a man with his finger or with his penis can actually push inside the cervical opening Uh, you can probably hear the cringe in my voice because to me that sounds incredibly painful and also perhaps maybe even dangerous the cervical opening can be it's quite a tender place it's not fun if that gets not but she reckons that with lots and lots of uh, warming up that very gently penetrating the cervical opening can actually be very pleasurable to the point of orgasm and she also told me about urinary orgasms where um, a woman forces herself to wee just a little bit when she's feeling aroused and really concentrates on the sensation of that liquid that urine leaving her body and that that can be so overwhelming that it induces an orgasm the things people can invent after boring themselves silly doing hours of meditation. Well, let's hope I won't end up boring myself through the cervix with something. <laughs> and on that bombshell, uh, let us thank our friends at mycondom.com for their sponsorship of this week's listener sex question. Remind us about the wonderful service that mycondom.com provide. Well, they source all sorts of different varieties of condom from all over the world, but you can be assured that they're all absolutely safe. They all have the CE quality mark on them, so you know that they're genuine. And every single condom, unless otherwise stated, has at least two years on the sell-by date. So even if you buy them in bulk (laughs) with a hopeful attitude and then don't get laid till the year dot, you're going to be fine. And this week's question is from a lady who's chosen to remain anonymous and says my question is about reciprocity i am a lesbian and i've only had two sexual partners but in both cases they favored the one person first style of sexual intercourse so in other words taking it in turns to get each other off right yeah yeah that's when you focus on one person's pleasure first and usually give them an orgasm or or make sure that they're satisfied in some way and then they'll return the favor Okay. Uh, This has worked out well when I'm the one getting them off. That's modest of her, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) However, my problem is this. I am a high-functioning autistic person and I don't like people touching me. I avoid hugs from strangers and acquaintances. I have a big personal space bubble. So being touched sexually is difficult and not at all pleasurable. However, my partners have both been generous and loving and have wanted to pleasure me in return. Being told they can't is very disappointing for them. Is there a way to train myself to be less sensitive? Or if not, how do I broach the subject of no reciprocation without turning my partner off and making them feel bad? Okay, Ollie, what do you know about autism? Oh, blimey. I am almost loath to say in case I say anything like horribly reductive. I know that autistic people generally prefer to be in their own space and have a very different way of looking at the world. And I know that it's a sliding scale, isn't it? Some people really can't function, basically, in what we'd call kind of normal situations, and other people, like this person, I guess, do and have relationships, but clearly have a lot of obstacles to overcome. 
That was a very good summary. When you've said a sliding <laughs> scale, it is actually referred to as the autistic spectrum for yeah. that reason. Our writer here uh, identifies herself as high-functioning. That means that you might not twig that she is autistic when you first speak to her. She can function very well in, in most societal situations. It's a myth that autistic people don't want to have relationships or don't want to have any kind of sexual interaction. Some don't, but a lot do. However, like all human beings, they want to have that within their own boundaries in a way that makes them particularly feel comfortable. And often that means allowing for their uh, peculiarities as individuals. Autistic people tend to find certain aspects of communication quite tricky. So reading people's facial expressions or tones of voice can be difficult. And when you're talking about sex, that can be even super awkward, you Mm. know? A a lot of neurotypical, that is... um, people whose brains function in the most common way find talking about sex hard so when you have the added difficulty of finding it tricky to work out maybe what somebody means when their voice goes up like Mm. this or or you can't interpret whether somebody's frown is sarcastic or genuine anger or frustration then that adds another layer to the the vionetta of difficulty for autistic (laughs) people if you will add to that as well the fact that many autistic people are hypersensitive to sensation Um, this has good sides and bad sides the good sides are that often um, pinpoint almost painful kind of uh, pricking sensations some autistic people report that they really like that or they like the feeling of impact of sharp impact other people find pressure so squeezing or the, the the feeling of something being on top of them bizarrely calming i know a little bit about this because my mum and my sister are actually both autism specialists oh, but, well, what are we talking to you for then <laughs> Well, that would have been great getting your mum on. But we used to do respite care for young people with autism when I was a young person myself. And some of them, when they were feeling that world was overwhelming, what they would like to do to calm down would be to go and lay in a dark place. We had a, a tent set up in the corner of our lounge and one of them liked to be underneath a, a foam blanket, like, like a kind of yoga mat, or to be rolled up tightly inside a carpet. And that feeling of squeezing but not by a person. So kind of a, essentially almost like a hug, but from something inanimate, mm. was very, very comforting to these lads. Are you getting an idea of how this might affect them sexually? Mm. Okay. So I think the first thing that our uh, writer needs to do here is talk about it with their partner. They don't say to what extent they've disclosed that they are on the autistic spectrum because it's really easy for neurotypical people to take an autistic person's rejection of physical contact as shunning. They think someone not wanting to be touched indicates that they don't want a relationship or that they're not very engaged. Well, I mean, in this case, it sounds like her partners are very sympathetic, but at the same time actually want to sexually satisfy her. So it's, it's not even that they feel shunned, it's that they're not getting off. They, they want the pleasure of pleasuring her, and she's denying them that. I wonder whether they've had the conversation as to why she is not wanting to be touched Mm. though because if they haven't then their partner might be filling in that blank with the wrong thing they might be assuming that uh, there's been a past trauma 
Uh, they might be thinking that when they have tried to touch her in the past that they've not been very good at it. So mm. they might be waiting for more input or even feeling bad about their own technique. If they're in the dark about why their partner doesn't want to be touched, then it's a, it would be a really good thing to have a conversation and explain the reasons why and then go on to talk about uh, the types of sensory or sexual role play that this person does enjoy to give options. Mm -hmm. But I think to start off with, it'd be great for our writer to really explain what's going on. Doing that in a non-sexual context would be the best thing. Um, I spoke to my friend Soraya, who is an excellent writer and also has Asperger's syndrome. So she has a mild form of autism. Uh, And she said that she often feels like somebody touching her sexually actually doesn't bring her pleasure. But there are other forms of sexual play that she does really enjoy uh, that that don't involve touch. One thing that she has suggested doing with her partners is watching porn together. So it's a mutually satisfying experience. Mm. She gives her partners permission to touch themselves. But if she doesn't want to stimulate herself or be stimulated physically, that doesn't have to happen. Mm-hmm. But she, like another friend, both of them told me that they found the kink world really useful on two levels. Uh, for a start, because it's part of BDSM and kink that you very explicitly state where your boundaries are, what's going to happen, what's okay, what's not okay. It's completely clear and very, very explicitly outlined, which is ideal if you're an autistic person who likes routine and predictability and that that makes you feel reassured. So that's one reason why it's good. Also, kink often involves things like... um, Have you heard of a pinwheel, Ollie? No. It's traditionally used by... Is it something you buy in paper, Jase? (laughs) No. It's traditionally used by doctors to check where the nerves are working properly uh, by running it across the skin and, and having someone say whether they can feel a sensation. Um, some people use the, an S&M to give a sort of sharp, spiky feeling and lots of autistic people really like that. So you can just run it across their skin. It also has the added advantage that they're being touched but not by skin mm. to skin, mm. which can really squick a lot of pe- autistic people out and feel overwhelming for them. So that's something to experiment with. You can also maybe explore the idea of a submissive and dominant relationship if that's something our writer feels like it would be up their street um soraya has i know played with um scenarios where she'll get her partner to do service-based tasks for her so it's somebody doing something for her to please her but without touch again Mm -hmm. so she'll say polish my shoes or wash this for me or perform this task for me and i will watch you and i will approve of that And it can be a very sexy scenario for both people involved, but it keeps the autistic person within their personal bubble. And you can get the housework done. Okay, and what about the issue of, I mean, she suggests this, maybe this is a naive way to put it, can I train myself to be less sensitive? I mean, it sounds like actually that would be suppressing her natural instincts, but maybe there is something she can do so that she doesn't feel turned off every time someone touches her. Well, I asked my mum about this, and she says, your writer may have an alternative tactile element that she can use that she knows gives her pleasure. So it might be the sensation of a material, maybe the feeling of a silk ribbon on her skin, or it might be something with a 
rough texture, like a particular, like a blanket or a wrap round her. That might be something that she and her partner can use to tailor an experience that suits her and that their partner can provide. Mum also says that won't involve invading your space, but it will make you feel nice. She also says that she should clarify, it doesn't need to be just one thing, but it could be a series of sensory experiences. So it might be her partner putting particular music on or sounds to set an ambiance, giving her some food that's a taste that she likes. Lots of autistic people find certain lights and, uh, you know, those bubble tubes. Have you Mm. seen those? That kind of um, visual input can be incredibly calming and a real beautiful sensory experience for them. So it might be that she and her partner work out a routine where the partner puts the special light on, uh, wraps her in her gorgeous blanket and does all those very personalised special things to make her feel wonderful. It's not traditionally sexual, but as we so often say, that old model of penis and vagina sex is outdated anyway. You should just really be doing what feels great to you. Hear, hear. There are a couple of books as well I'd recommend for both she and her partner to read that have really good ideas. There's one by a person called Meg John Barker called Rewriting the Rules. It's got lots of ideas on how to explore your own feelings and then express those to your partner. And even has, uh, I think on Meg John's website, there are instructions on how to make your own zine explaining to your partner what you like. Okay, great stuff. Don't send us your personal zines of how you like to be sexually pleasured, but do send us your questions questions for a future edition of the show. Alex, if people would like to do that, what do they need to do? All they need to do is mosey on over to our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and then click on feedback. We did actually have a Blake write in the other day to point out that Modern Man actually has three ends in it. That was uh, Berry, our ambassador for San Jose. That person may also be on the autistic spectrum. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but still, he's right. He's absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, but we know what we mean. You know, yes. Man with two ends instead of one. Um, thank you, Alex. And thank you as well to mycondom.com. They are there for all your prophylactic needs. And if you want to get 15% off... You just need the code FOXHOLE. F-O-X-H-O-L-E. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this week's Modern Man, but I do just have time to anoint a new ambassador. Jake has been in touch. He says, Ollie, I've been a listener to the Modern Man from the very beginning. I currently live in Ardmore in Ireland, but I'm from Dorset, and although I love where I live, I occasionally get homesick. Listening to your show makes me feel closer to home. Well, I don't know how you feel about us having interviewed an Irishman this week, uh, but Jake, I now pronounce you Manbassador for Ardmore. Congratulations. Our theme is Skies Over Cairo by Django Django, used with their kind permission. And stand by for our record of the week. It's the new one from St. Vincent. It's called New York, and it's available to download right now. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday. New York is in New York without you, love. So far in a few blocks to be so low And if I call you from First Avenue We're the only other sucker in the city who can handle me New love wasn't true love back to you, love So much for a
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.